right? Welcome, welcome, welcome back. You are now rocking with another episode of the Brown Not Black podcast. Once again, I am one of two hosts here. I go by the name of Nick. And hey, it's me, your racially ambiguous friend Harrison. Friend is stretching it. Anyways, we have our favorite guest here. You know him from episode two. Welcome back to the show, Akash. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. Of course, man. Of course. Obviously, we got to start you off with a hard-hitting question. Are you still brown? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I checked earlier today to make sure I was qualified to be on this podcast, and yeah, it it confirmed. How's the melanin looking right now, dude? A luscious golden. Golden? Wait a minute. Do you have jaundice? (laughs) Anyway, no, we're glad you came back to the show with us. We loved having you on the last time, and a lot of people who listened to the show said they really liked your perspective, so we're excited to have you back. Thanks. I mean, it yeah. was it was my first time ever being on a podcast, and it was so great to talk to you guys about all that stuff, and like just like learn how you guys talk on a podcast, and and learning from that experience has been so so. The hearing the feedback from my friends too has been so interesting, and kind of an eye opening experience too, and I, it makes me more appreciative of, of the work you guys are doing here. A little bit about the feedback that we received, and again, we we're always here to learn. The first and foremost, that's the most important thing. We are here to learn. We always make mistakes. That's not out of the question. I do want to announce, yes, this episode is Akash. We are looking to have our first female POC on the show. If you or anyone you know has a very unique voice and would like to say anything on this podcast, we would love to have you. Um, Some of the feedback we've received that we are definitely acknowledging is that we are three males. (laughs) So we, we have a very male-centric view. Now, hold on. Whoa. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, you're absolutely right. And um, I also, as a principal, really like the idea of diversity. Uh, I don't want to exotify the idea of us including a female voice onto the show, but I would like us to get a female voice on the show. That would be cool. Because you're right. Let's break it up a little bit. Yeah, to- I totally agree. Harrison, Akash, and I, we could talk about female viewpoints. We could try to talk about it, but... Is that authentic? Is Are we going to be doing justice to every female POC out there? No. So we want them on the show. If you are one, if you know one, get them on the show. Yeah, this is our casting call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> I was about to move on, too. <laughs> oh, man. All right. As is tradition, Harrison, how about you hold our hands here and walk us through? What have we been talking about the last week that kind of got the juices flowing for this episode? So all this week, we've been talking about things we were not supposed to like. The things that we weren't expected to be into because we are people of color. And how gatekeeping and discrimination has created that public image in our lives of this unique moment where people will look at us and be like, wait a minute, you like that? but you're brown or something (laughs) and it's very awkward and we need to talk about it (laughs) yeah like oh i will get into very specific examples but the the main theme here is whoa you like that i did not ever perceive that you or your people or people who look like you would ever be into something like that so it's weird to me that you're into something like that Mm -hmm. that's happened to all of us and countless of other people across the united states So let's get into it here. I'll start it off with my personal stories of things I was not supposed to like because I'm brown. Or because I'm me, I guess. Same thing. 
Sorry. I <laughs> I am brown. So I, Harrison, really like pop punk music. I like emo music, goth music scenes. I really love rock and roll and jazz music. And that's mostly because of my own personal tastes, and part of it is because I grew up on Long Island, New York, and my parents introduced me to certain types of music like that. But the thing is, sometimes when I tell people that, or maybe I wear like a band t-shirt, they'll look at me a little funny, or ask me, hey, you actually like that? Or, I didn't think you'd be into that. And sometimes it's comes from an honest place, it's a legitimate question, and other times I can feel someone is judging me a little bit for being into something that didn't match up with their preconceived notions, their explicit or implicit biases for just a man of color. And it bothers me a little bit. It's a microaggression, if you will. But microaggressions do pile up and turn into like a festering mass of frustration on the mind. And then you end up with me on a podcast talking about them. (laughs) (laughs) Quick question for the both of you. Could one of you, maybe both of you, enlighten me and our guests as to what exactly a microaggression is? Just so we're all on the same page here. Yeah, Nick, I think this is so important because this is like the type of racism I kind of experience now more than ever. And so just like... Brief summary of it is a microaggression is like a like a statement or an action. It's usually like indirect, subtle, and most of the time unintentional by the person that marginalizes or draws upon stereotypes towards people of color in different cultures. Instead of saying like calling someone a racial slur, for example, it's saying something like calling them like extra tan or or you're like always tan for me, for example. Calling someone with darker complexion well done for example that's very offensive exactly yeah calling them out especially when you come from like a place of like a white privilege and saying like and calling them out based on their their skin color or their culture and like making assumptions about it and it's like one of like the hardest things to kind of identify like i didn't even i didn't even have a label for it until you know in college when i can identify when i even i could identify what microaggressions were i was just like always acknowledge it but never it never really manifested into an actual definition for me until like i was educated about it and a lot of people just don't get that education and like that's part of i guess what we're doing and talking about here is making people educated about microaggressions like i'm sure that i also microaggress things all the time but it's just being aware of that because you don't want it to be unintentional you want it to be aware of of the how your actions and stuff are are affecting those around you. Yeah, absolutely. That is a great point, and I think you summarized it very well. A microaggression is a sort of slight or indirect way of marginalizing somebody, putting them in a box based on assumptions or something that is off-color. Was that a microaggression? No. (laughs) But there have been many times in my life where, much like how you just said, until I got educated on the language of what is a microaggression? What does it look like? What does uh, more subtle racism look like? I didn't even realize that a lot of the times in my life, I was exposed to things like that. Yeah, to expand upon that, that's kind of the next step in this centuries-long fight against racism. So you had, when the slave trade was going very strong, for example, the N-word. Very obvious macroaggression, just straight-up racism, if you will. 
nowadays, that's seen as, whoa, you can't say that. Like a white person cannot say the N-word. Never, ever, no. Now you have something that we like to call the new Jim Crow, which kind of plays into the theme of microaggressions, where it's racism. Yeah, no one's out here openly calling black people the N-word to their face. However, there are people that are, you know, denying people jobs based on their skin color, et cetera, et cetera. It kind of plays off this old school versus new school. And just to agree with what both of you have said already, I also didn't know what the term microaggression meant for a very long time until recently. It's a, it's a new concept, but I also agree, Akash, it's very, very important that we uh, acknowledge it. And Nick, you said something that I'd like to touch on, even though it's a bit off topic, but it, matters of race are never off topic on this podcast. You said The yeah. New Jim Crow. There is an excellent book written by Michelle Alexander. That's the author. No, we're not sponsored. I'm just plugging this because it's a very valuable tool. The book is called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. This is a book I read in a college sociology class that absolutely changed the way I saw the world, and I think in a better way for it. I can't get into the subject material of it too much, but if you want to learn more about race relations in the United States, you want to get up and up with how discrimination isn't just macroaggressions like someone flinging a slur at somebody. If you'd like to learn more about what a microaggression is and what it looks like and how to identify it, if you're trying to get an idea of what microaggressions look like in America on a more subtle level, then check out this book. Because if it did something for me, who is a person who actively lives in tan skin, then anyone else can get an excellent perspective from reading this book, The New Jim Crow. Dope. Wow. Really amazing plug. That book, Harrison, we'll plug that at the end of the episode as well. Back to you, Harrison. You mentioned that you're very alt, you like pop punk. Last episode, you told the world that you wear eyeliner. So I wanted to ask you, how has that either helped or hurt you fitting into different social circles? You know, American culture, has it helped you or hurt you? Guyanese culture, your home culture, has it helped or hurt you? I just want you to kind of elaborate on that because I feel like I don't actually don't think there's anyone else talking about that. That's very specific. Man. Yeah, I I am heavily marginalized, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, me being super alternative, which is just a matter of how I like to dress, how I like to wear my hair, my clothes, makeup, the music I listen to, the the media and books I consume. It's helped me meet and just fit in better with certain crowds of people. And that I'm very thankful for because there are some excellent people in my life that I met because of common interests that maybe I wouldn't have met if I wasn't into those things. I'm sure I could say the same thing for other fields of interest, but in my unique journey of life, I'm happy with the people I've met because of the things I like. On the flip side, sometimes other people who are members of the colored community will look at me kind of sideways if I'm dressed in all black, wearing eyeliner, and have strange jewelry on. And not only members of the colored community, but just something I've specifically noticed is older people in general, not to be ageist or anything, but 
I've noticed strange looks when I'm like in full regalia and an older person is just like, what the heck is this guy wearing? Are they even a guy? But <laughs> it's like, it's something you get used to. And as like a piece of life advice, just be your genuine self and do what makes you happy. So long as everybody around you is not getting hurt or consenting. I mean, that's like, the, that's like such important thing. It's just, it's like so many people are like the whole argument is like gay marriage or men gendered norms and roles. It's like, it's not affecting you. It's not harming you. Just let people be people. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sorry that your worldview is like not the center of the universe. It's so frustrating. And like, hopefully I think as we grow and become hopefully more progressive as a culture and our Eurocentric ideals become more and more challenged in so many different aspects. I hope it's like a dying, it's like a dying sentiment where we have like this American ideal or this Western white ideal that has to always be met. And I just like just break down those barriers and challenge it. And like, I love that Harrison. That's so amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I'm literally just being me unabashedly and I love every minute of it. Like question for you is like, what did you realize that when, when you were just like, cause it's, it's like tough. It's tough being unabashedly yourself yeah when, when did i realize that i think i realized at uh around age 20 21 which is kind of late but that's personal growth reasons mm-hmm. that i'm tired of fulfilling someone else's stereotypes or expectations of who i should be in the world and yep. i want to be fulfilling and nurturing to the person that I want to be and this is all built off of like the different media I've consumed and and ideas that I've had in my life but the person I want to be looks like who I am right now and both of you know me pretty well in fact so I can say with pride I'm like living living my life right now not anybody else's and that makes me feel fulfilled that sounds so fucking healthy what are you well adjusted jesus I am not, <laughs> this needs to be on the record, I am not well-adjusted. Anywho, on the topic of not well-adjusted, I listen to a lot of pop punk and uh, emo music, right? And that especially has been an awkward experience in certain social interactions because I'll talk to certain people and just be like, oh yeah, I love that band. And they'll look at me like, wait, <laughs> This isn't adding up. <laughs> I've been to so many like pop punk shows and I love them. Like there's a lot of bands I really love. One of my favorite bands is called State Champs. And they are a I believe they're from Albany. They play pop punk music and they're freaking great. They, they rock the house down like every time. I've seen them live maybe four times. They sell out fairly decent sized venues. It's not mega big, not small. Every single time I've been to one of those shows, and disclaimer, this is not a dig. I am not trying to polarize anything right now. This is just my observation. I have been one of three or four people of color in that crowd. <laughs> And I'm still having a blast. Like, I love it because I love that music. I love the energy in, like, punk concerts. But every time I'm in that crowd, I've consistently made eye contact with every other person of color and just nodded at them. Like, hey, 
We in here. I know that feeling so well. When I was in college, uh, I went to UConn, right? And my friends invited me to a Zach Brown band concert Oy. in, in Hartford. Ah. <laughs> and I was like, I was gratefully invited. Like, I, fuck, I like, love my friends. And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, we're going to go tailgate, get drunk, and like hang out outside on the beautiful, this beautiful day. Like, I've never listened to Zach Brown Band before, but, like, all, I know, like, white people loved it. And, like, we get there, and there's, like, thousands and thousands of white people. I, I like, as we're driving into Hartford, I'm, like, getting more and more uncomfortable. I'm, like, where oh, are no. the people of color? Where are you taking me? <laughs> like, this one black guy. Like, we pull up and, like we, in this parking lot with, like, thousands of cars. And then me and this one black guy and, like, the only people we can see, black eyes. We just, like, give each other, like... A nod. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. And then, like, there's, like, people next to us. Like, this one guy, I remember, was, like, in the back of a pickup truck wearing, like, an American flag button-down and American flag shorts and, like, the Oakleys with, like, the the band around, like, the back of the neck. Not the Oakleys with the strap. Like, full-on white Chad. (laughs) He was definitely in a frat kind of guy. And I, like, just pulled out the lawn chair and grabbed my bottle of whiskey, and I was like, I'm sitting here, I'm getting blackout drunk, no one bothered me. And it was just such an uncomfortable experience. I'm sorry. That kind of (laughs) sucks that you didn't have a good time. Honestly, it's a great transition, because we've all dealt with this. Being the only POC in the room this is something that i know the both of you have dealt with and that mm-hmm. well honestly it's happened so many times we're great at it being the only person of color in this room i, mean, I don't love it but i love it you know why because going off the topic of microaggressions it being the new form of quote-unquote you know the new form of racism it's not cool to let microaggressions slide anymore it's 2021 we are calling people out on their bullshit. For example, I went to an apartment and, you know, someone's birthday party or something like that. There were six white former frat guys around this beer pong table. I have to go to the back by myself, say, hey, I'm Nick. Nice to meet all of you. And half of them shake my hand, you know, regularly. Half of them automatically turn their hand to dap me up. One of these gentlemen that... I dapped up like it, we started in a normal business handshake and it switched to a dap and he looked me in the eye and said, oh, that makes more sense. And I was like, what does that what does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, what, what, no. what, what? I, I hope you were still holding his hand, like staring deep into his fucking eyes when you said that we were. <laughs> I saw that uh, that brief glint of white guilt fear flash across his face. Luckily. He was saved from my wrath. Listen, man. If somebody microaggresses you and you're a person of color in this year, that's like if you're playing Super Mario and you get the star. You can do whatever you want after that. <laughs> you're untouchable. I mean, not whatever you want, but hey. You're not condoning vi- we're not condoning violence on this show unless they hit you first. Unless they <laughs> I like sort of disagree. I like I obviously we've all we all experience microaggressions all the time. But for me, at least the way I handle it is like in some circumstances I will be like, no, that was a microaggression. Like what? Like what are you doing? And other times I'm just like, I just don't want to pick this battle right now. I'm just like, I don't have the energy. I don't want to put myself in a position where I have to talk to someone about how their actions affected me. Like that's not that's not my job. Like that's not my job that they're races and i have to educate them right it's like i can choose as a person of color how i want to engage 
with someone's racism. So it's like, it's not like you don't, you right. don't have to call it out. Like, it would be nice if people just, like, wouldn't do it, but, like, it's, like, on white people to, to educate themselves and learn it. And I love that we can call them out, and I agree, like, <laughs> I wish I had the energy to call people out all the fucking time. Here's what I'll say, Akash, sorry to cut you off, but sure. here's what I'll say to that point, is I didn't specifically call him out. This is what I like to do. Someone will say something to me that's off color, like that mm-hmm. gentleman's statement, and I'll just be like, what does that mean? Mm. Yeah, keep it subtle. They'll start, yeah, they'll start thinking about it. And I guarantee you, he went, I mean, maybe if he remembered it or not, but went home, I hope, feeling at least a little embarrassed and be like, ah, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that in the future. I don't have to necessarily cause a scene, but I can make them question themselves now. Yeah, I guess my point is just like, you can, as people of color, we have the option yeah. to pick and choose our battles. Yes. But there's no obligation on our end to engage. Like, when we engage, we have all the right in the world to. But we also have all the right in the world to not engage. Just say, I don't have the energy to tell you why your head is up your ass right now. Exactly. I, I really do think that a part of being a good white ally is just actively working, like, every single day, every single minute to be a- acutely aware of any possible microaggressions you could be making. And I think that that's so important. People will say that's a double standard, but no, it's not, because you've subjugated multiple cultures for generations so the least you can do is just this now right and season your food season (laughs) your food yeah just put some spice in that dude um akash i wanted to ask you sure what are some examples of things that you quote unquote were not supposed to like for me it's like really interesting because i wouldn't consider myself alternative like i'm very i'm like a cis heteronormative kind of guy i wonder what that's like I mean, obviously nothing bad with it, but it's like the most of the gatekeeping that I found actually was from people in my own culture. Mm. Like my parents, like I didn't listen to Western music until I was like in middle school. And my parents like just didn't want me to listen to white people music and like by far black people music too. Like it was like that because they didn't obviously that, that racism, but also like they, one, they wanted me to be attuned to my culture at a young age. Two, like that's all they kind of knew. Like they didn't know what was like, what was acceptable music for, like, young kids to listen to in, like, a white America, right? They weren't listening to Billy Joel when they were younger. I love Billy Joel. I know, me too. <laughs> well, from what I've heard, I need to listen to more. But, like, it's just, like, they they wanted to raise us well and to be good people, and so they reverted to a comfort. And so that kind of comfort kind of ended up being gatekeeping. They wouldn't let me watch Pokemon when I was young. And I was like, that was, like, that was the biggest no-no when I was young. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like... You didn't watch Pokemon when you were a kid? No, but I played the games. Like, it, just, it was like, I was like, how could I not watch the TV show? But, like, the animation style, like, they just didn't understand, and they, they controlled that, and they, they didn't want us to engage wow. with it. So what I'm hearing is that it was kind of an insular state of mind where they wanted to limit it to their culture as a way to preserve it. It didn't come from a malicious area exactly. Right. And, like, my, my parents aren't malicious. It's like, they, they want to preserve the culture put us into a lot of cultural activities like Indian classical dance and music, et cetera, et cetera. But they also wanted the best for my sister and I. And the only way they knew how to provide like the best was filtering content that they didn't understand. And so they can control the narratives that we were, we were getting when we were younger. I resented them for a long time about that, but you know, seeing it from their perspective, like I, I understand there were immigrants coming in and they didn't they were scared and they didn't know it starts to make sense yeah nick and i sort of talked about that on our last episode the sort of abstract idea that when you are part of a small group 
you try to stay close to the other mm-hmm. members of that group in order to preserve yourself. It's not out of a malicious kind of manipulative way necessarily, but it's self-preservation. Yeah, it's like a preservation of just the culture, right? Which is fair. It's very fair to an extent. Like Harrison just said, you want you want your tribe members to stay the same and like all the things you like. That's not That's not completely out of the box. And this is actually my first time thinking about it like that. Because, for example, when I was younger, if I got a straight A's on a report card, which I always did, I was rewarded with a video game or something like that. I did. I was a grade A student until I got to college and got independence. (laughs) That's crazy. I went to private school my entire life. Once I got to college and had to start worrying about what I actually had to wear to class, it just went out the door. (laughs) Everything went out the door. It got very hard. My grades were always subpar until I began paying for my own schooling. Mm. I focused up <laughs> real quick. I started sitting in the front of every class, taking notes. I almost failed out of high school, and I failed the first semester of college. I was, like, never a good student until I got to, until, like, junior year, when I, then I got to grad school and stuff like that. So that's the shit you're not supposed to like, getting bad grades. Okay, so we heard Akash's side. Nick, what are some things that you weren't supposed to like? I'm going to take a little twist on it here, and I'm going to say... There were a lot of things that I was expected to like that I did not. And it's due to the way that I was raised, my environment. Again, my elementary school was predominantly white. I think it was like 89% white. When I got to high school, as I referenced in the last episode, I believe, but I did make, you know, friends with people of color, you know, Haitian Americans. Actually, it was just, it was really a lot of Haitian. (laughs) All of my friends were Haitian. In retrospect. There's a lot of Haitians on Long Island. But when I started chilling with this group of people that, you know, for the first time wasn't predominantly white, a lot of things came up that I did not know that were important for me to be in touch with. For example, someone said something to me one day, someone dissed me, and one of my boys was like, damn, you just got hit with the ether. And I was like, what, what is that? Like, what is that? For those of you who don't know, that is the diss track from Nas dissing Jay-Z. You got hit with the ether. Oh, damn. That's a throwback. Wow. Yeah. Right? Deep cut. Someone said that to me. I don't even know if I'm saying the word right, but someone said that to me and I was like, what? Like, what is that? And they're like, oh, that's from Nas and Jay-Z. I was like, who's Nas? Nasty Nas? All right. Yo, that's what I'm getting into. I never listened to rap music. Mm. The extent, if you know me now, I love rap. I love New York City, underground rap, Flatbush Zombies, Joey Badass. Like, I love rap music. I like making rap music. However, when I was a child, all I knew was, I think if you look back on my, one of my old iPod shuffles or something like that, the most played song was probably, I Write Sins Not Tragedies by Panic at the Disco. Now, hold on. You never told me you liked Panic. I didn't know. Yo, this I can directly blame on my mom. She, for a couple of years, while she was in law school, drove my brother and I to school, and all we listened to was AM 1560, Radio Disney. You know what the edgiest song that they played on Radio Disney is? Wait, can I guess? Take a guess. Uh, Allie and AJ, breakup song. Nuck if you buck. Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> is, that the, is that the craziest song they played? Like The craziest song that I've ever heard on AM 1560 Radio Disney was Switch by Wilson.
Cleese owns the rights to that song? What the hell? <laughs> and you know what the wildest part is? Is one day I actually called in and said, hey, do you guys have... Hey, can you all play Switch by Will Smith? And they were like, no, we don't have that. And then a month later, they started playing it. <laughs> so you were you were the part of the problem, Nick. <laughs> clearly. I clearly was never meant to fit in anywhere. <laughs> Be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> Switch by Will Smith. Great song. Literally nothing bad about it or explicit about it in any way, shape, yeah. or form. I mean, that's what I was exposed to. I wasn't exposed to rap music. I wasn't exposed to hip-hop. It took me so long to actually go through Kanye West's discography. Embarrassingly long. But that's one of the things where if I were to engage with my, you know, my first high school friends who are all you know, predominantly POC... They would be talking about something. And I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. However, I will say I would go home and listen to what they were listening to. And I fell in love immediately. I was like, where has this been my entire life? Nicki Minaj? Who is this? God, I love her. Like, that's just what happened to me in high school. The other thing, and this kind of alludes to what we were talking about last episode, was I was very much not taking care of my hair. I will never forget the day. That, well, there's two days specifically. One was the day where I got laughed at because a girl asked me how many times I washed my hair in a day. And I said two. And she died laughing. She's like, what are you doing? You want your hair to fall out of your head? And she was also a person of color? She was, yeah. She had gorgeous, long, curly hair. Shout out to her. Like, her hair was absolutely beautiful. And I had, you know, nappy, nice hair. But... I was shampooing and conditioning it twice a day. Nappy boy over here. But that's the thing. Until you meet other people who are similar to you in some degree, like, let's get specific here, part of the person of color community, there are things you might just not know if it wasn't taught to you. Like, I have a similar story where using online forum resources about people of color with curly hair, I didn't know that I need to avoid certain things like alcohol in shampoos or shampoo in general, honestly, or sulfates. Sulfates. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It screws up the kinkiness and tightness of the curls. Sulfates and parabens. There you go. That That's what it is. Have you guys found it easier to find hair products for your hair type now? I have, personally. I've had an easier time getting hair care products for my curly hair and... My life changed once I realized how I'm supposed to take care of hair that looks like this. <laughs> Not only that, I literally did this earlier today, but I mean, just imagine if we were this age 10 years ago, trying to find hair care products, you know, specifically for our types of hair. Today, Google auto suggested this for me. I typed in hair care products for men. And what popped up was 27 black owned brands for type 3 a to 4b hair that's great that's what we need to see man i was like i didn't even know i was searching for this article but like this it was amazing there's types of black hair like there's like a category type one is straight hair type four is as curly as one strand of hair can be it's just like curliness or a kinkiness chart is probably the better word for it but i'm i'm type three my hair is very densely curled but it's not quite to where four is Interesting. And this is only for black for like black hair or is it like hair scale? I think it's just hair, but I mean, isn't it mostly only black people with kinky curly hair? Essentially, yes. 
There are people of colors from the Mediterranean and regions that have hair that is similar to what looks like mine in a way. So mm. it's not just for the African-American community, but it's certainly a tool that helps the African-American community. Educate yourself about the hair you have on your head, folks. Ooh, this is a great transition. So, Akash, I'm going to need your help on this topic. Mm-hmm. Just going back to the reasons, you know, we don't necessarily fit into X culture. I know you can relate to this, Akash. I work in the, you know, CPG, retail sales, food industry. I've been to many trade shows. And this is something I've had to deal with since being in like a Roman Catholic high school is my appearance. I have to take note about my appearance. First and foremost, obviously my hair. I can't just wake up, roll out of bed and just show up at one of these trade shows. I also can't just gel my hair back and show up at one of these trade shows, which are, you know, predominantly walked about by a lot of white people. Right. I have to get up 15 minutes earlier than the partner that I'm there with, make sure I wash my hair, make sure it's properly dried, properly curl it so it's sitting down. And it's not too crazy, but I also look presentable. Yeah. So for me, like I, I work in in and around like the political sphere. I'm a consultant for a public affairs and communications firm, and we help businesses kind of meet the intersection of policy and politics. And as you can tell, a very, <laughs> very white dominant space. <laughs> like it's like the whitest dominant space uh, I've ever experienced, other than. Some parts of New Hampshire. And it's all about conforming to look white. It's like all about assimilating to look white. Like, I am privileged enough to not to have, like, hair that it can, that's, like, I can cut it short and I can, like, it can, like, be straight and, like, I, I gel it right. up and I can look, like, w- like presentable to, like, a white community, right? But, like, God forbid I want to bleach my hair blonde or color my hair, which, like, I want right. to do. Like, that would be super fun. But, like, working in politics and, like, working with meeting, like, C-level executives and stuff like that, like, it's it's yeah. all judgment-based, especially when you're a consultant and, like, first impressions are everything. And it's so, God, it's so suffocating, especially when you're a person of color because you have to try doubly hard to be like, yeah, I assimilated into your white culture successfully. Right. It's You had to prove that. And you're selling that on top of your professional services. And it's, it's so demeaning and it's so restrictive. It's just, it's just awful. It's irritating. It's very irritating. Yeah. First impressions are everything. That is true through multiple industries, multiple careers, whatever it is you do. First impressions are extremely important. Now, as a person of color, who's also very young for my field, who doesn't typically, you know, look like people in my field. From my first trade show, which was maybe three, four years ago at this point, my first trade show took my earrings out, put on my Sunday best, whatever I could do to really assimilate into white business culture. Anything I could do for that, I did. Mm -hmm. And looking back at it, even though I did that perfectly to a T, my coworker gave me some great advice. My responsibility at these trade shows was to go up to basically every booth, which was a different food manufacturer, and pitch them what my company does and how we're able to help out with your inventory levels. Now, for a 22-year-old kid who knows nothing about this industry, that's a terrifying prospect. And it makes it tougher when the only advice that your coworker gives you is just find the old white man at the booth and introduce yourself to him and tell him what you do. I get along great 
with old white women. <laughs> old white men don't like me. Uh-oh. That's what I'll say about that. So my first trade show was very, very tough. And actually looking back at it, the only thing I would have done differently is do whatever the hell I wanted to do, wear, you know, reasonably whatever the hell I wanted to wear. Now, the most recent trade show I went to pre-COVID, I kept my earrings in. I, I let my hair be as curly as I wanted it to. I just let it do what it did naturally. And I found that I did get looks. A lot of old white men, when I would approach them, obviously saw my earrings and were like, who the hell is this guy coming to talk to me? What could he possibly have to offer is what I really gleaned. And you can tell a lot by the way a person is standing, if they want to speak to you or not. If their two toes are pointed towards you, they want to talk to you. If they're not, they want to look for a reason to leave that conversation as fast as possible. I rarely talk to anybody who started the conversation off with their two toes or their two feet, I should say, pointing towards me. It's very tough to get their attention. That's an excellent observation. That body language is a huge part of how someone will view you. It is a way that you can tell how someone is receiving you too. Yeah. A lot of these, you know, old or white men who, to Akash's point, are the C-suite executives who are the decision makers for that company. That basically makes or breaks my paycheck at the end of the day. They didn't want to even be seen engaging with the kid or with the young man with earrings in his ear or with the, you know, bright red pants or, you know, maroon pants with the matching belt. I, yes, I stood out. However, I have now made that work for me to the point where, again, older white women, they love me. They're like, oh, I, I love your pants. And I'm like, you know what? Thank you so much. And I had one woman come up to me and say, you are just, you are too handsome to be here. And I was like, <laughs> well, okay, you, flex. you know, <laughs> It's a podcast, Nick. They can't see your face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what that is, Nick? It's you being your real, genuine, authentic self and real recognizes real. Yes, that's true. So what you've actively done that you just said is you reject to engage in like that, to assimilate in that white, in that white space. That's like an active and smart choice that I obviously agree with, but it's, how do you juxtapose that or how do you like balance that with I want to get the best business output, right? It's so hard when business in it, the capitalist structure of America is so mired in this white privileged system. It's like a, it's like a different balance, right? Yeah. I'll tell you honestly, when I am conforming to white business practices, I'm thinking about that a lot. I'm thinking of, oh, is my posture okay? Oh, does, you know, is my watch slipping? Oh, you know, are my shoes shine? Like, oh, I'm thinking about all this stuff that at the end of the day, just does not fucking matter. I cannot stress that enough Mm -hmm. because, you know, these more recent trade shows, I can go up to someone comfortable with what I'm wearing, knowing, actually not comfortable, knowing I look damn good (laughs) and knowing I look better than them. I'll go up to them. I'll say, hey, I'm Nick. This is what we do. And they're like, awesome. Thanks, Nick. Great to meet you. And I've had people after we've had a 10 minute conversation say like, you know, I was not, he's like, I wasn't expecting that from you. Or I wasn't, like, I could see it in their face that they weren't expecting to have such a thorough conversation with me. I'm good at what I'm good at what I do. Well, Nick, that's, what you've got is a winner's mentality. And it's one that I've carried with myself, too, for reasons that were included, but not limited to my skin color, sometimes in life and, like, academics, work life and whatever, where what I'll do is I think about what other people can do for me rather than, like, what I can do for you. Like, I'm not your servant, right? My presence is greatness and you should be honored that you're in it. And (laughs) I want to light up that room. 
I want to be the star that I know that I am, right? I'm not going to be subservient to somebody else in any social situation. And the way you described how you present yourself now that you've gained experience and put your reps in in your industry is the same way I think of things too. And I'm feeling a bit of that energy off of you where you know you're valid and you will not conform to what a white-centric idea of what your industry looks like because yeah. people think you should know you're going to own who you are because you know you've got the skills and you don't have to prove or put on an act for anybody else. I don't have to prove myself to you because I'm great at what I do. And that it just it makes everything so much so much easier when you're not having to think about that. And oh, here's this. I want to state this for the record as a very male-centric podcast. We're talking about all these things that we have to conform into. Females, ladies, women have to do that 10 times yeah. over yeah. to be even sitting at the same table as some men. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. That moves me. That gets my mind going on the next topic I wanted to address. I think it's a smooth transition into this. We just talked about things that we weren't supposed to like or expectations people had on us for what we would like or be good at now i think that's similar to the idea of gatekeeping where if you can't prove that you deserve to be part of something people will look at you as illegitimate now i suggest that gatekeeping people based on the color of their skin their cultural background and in a larger sense their gender their what they were assigned at birth is very harmful to our culture to america as a whole and this behavior bleeds into industries and careers yeah it's like that's a really good point harrison i my industry is very as i said before very very white like just so white and it it's it's tough because one my parents wanted me to go into like a medical field an engineering field yeah sure there's a stereotype about indians like wanting to do that or immigrants in general wanting to do that but they they want to do that because they want the best options for their children right like they work so hard to come to this country and like they left everything behind and they want the safest highest education value pathway for their kids I respect the hell out of that yes and that was just something that i was never good at nor interested in. And I was very, very fortunate and lucky to have parents who, while were not happy about me doing like communications and political uh, careers, they were still supportive. And it, I mean, it worked out in the end. I mean, it goes to show that there's different avenues of success for immigrants in America, I guess for immigrants to learn. But I have no other friends of color from my childhood or college who are in the same industry as me and the ones i do meet in my industry are far and few between and we automatically all coalesce together because we're all like yes we're in this such a white yes. dominant space it's that moment where you notice that in a space that is dominated by one group when you find someone else who is similar to you you just i immediately are in sync or can resonate with them. i go to uh two pet shows a year one in orlando one in vegas there is one guy he is potentially the only other black guy i've seen at these shows and i will pass him maybe four times in one day every single time i pass him 
we will stop and be like, yo, bro, how you doing? Like, oh, what's up, my brother? How, like, how you been? And we'll, we'll dap each other up. And it's unspoken, but it's because <laughs> we're the only two people in that entire convention center, potentially. Solidarity. Who are, who have this amount of melanin in their skin. That solidarity is so real. And that gets me thinking about how if there's less representation, if there are less people in a field who look like you, that means there are less role models, less people that you can look up to and say, hey, here's an African-American who did that. Here's an Indian person who did that. The less of that that there is, the more it perpetuates a white-dominated system in America. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, I think that's exactly well put, right? It's like, you can, like, hire as many people. A lot of firms in my industry do this, is they hire a lot of people of color so they can get their team page, like, on their website to show wide diversity. But the problem is, is, like, they're not hiring people of color as decision makers. People of color still showpieces they're like it's like oh no we're not racist <laughs> the whole token you know? black situation where it's just like yeah we have a black guy like that's exactly uh, come on we got to do better than that for for god's sake exactly and it's two-pronged because like you just said there are people who hire people specifically because of their color because they want to be diverse or meet a diversity quota maybe it's company imposed maybe it's the law but then the problem that i mentioned first is because there's a lack of representation None of these people are entering these fields to begin with. Yeah. That's a great point, Akash, because that's that really dissolves a lot of arguments that you could have like, oh, but these companies set aside two million for, you know, to include diversity in their next program. But like your C suite is still gonna be the same average skin color. Yeah. So what have you really done? Exactly. Who are the people making the real big decisions? Here's I think the unintentional effect of it, right? Is that all these companies are hiring all these people of color and like mid management to, to junior level, right? To to offset the whiteness mm. of their firms. And they're hiring it, as we said before, to show that they're diverse and that they're not part they're trying to break down their white systematic privilege. But it's all a facade, right? Because they're not actually taking the decisions or the steps right now to do so. But the problem is, is that you're hiring all these people who are intelligent, competent people who are junior now, but they're gonna be moving up. And you're tipping the scales against that white privilege. And it's like a microcosm of the story of America, right? Absolutely. Like, America was like mm. immigrants come into America. And like, this is a safe space. America's the land of the free. We live the American dream, right? Like, but the asterisk on that is like, but you have to assimilate to a white America, right? So I think of that as a corporation. It's like, come to us. We want that diversity. We want to hear your voice. But like, you have to assimilate to our white company culture. But the problem is, it's like, no, if you're hiring these no, people to, I don't want to do that. <laughs> if you're hiring these people to break down that white, to show that you're breaking down this white company culture, we're not doing anything. Eventually, they're going to do it, regardless of I the mean, power that you have. Like you are tipping the scales against you. Akash, what you just described is essentially Nick's story, just more abstractly. Nick is being his genuine self in a white-dominated industry. Yeah. And he's rolling with it. And you, you use the word microcosm. I believe that the microcosm and the macrocosm resemble one another very closely. Mm -hmm. And that things are in motion in the United States right now. We are in a tumultuous time with a lot of changes happening. I think true representation and meaningful change and ownership and control is on the horizon 
but there is so much work to be done. Just support black business, support businesses owned by people of color, like totally. show solidarity, do your thing. Yeah, that's the real way to do it. And uh, hey, hey, I want to make it very clear. That does not mean if you find a cool black owned business or a cool POC owned business, that doesn't mean go buy their products off Amazon. That means go to their fucking website <laughs> and buy products from their fucking website. Then <laughs> that's that. One thing I want to shout out is one of my friends pointed out to me something about her career field. She is involved in theater production and as an actress, right? She said to me that that industry has a lot of trouble diversifying their cast and that a lot of productions are almost exclusively cast by just white people with skinnier body types. Mm. The content of our podcast is mostly race-driven, so as for the aspect of body type and diversity in that sense, I will not dive too far into, but I will say that it's important to embrace diversity in all senses and not exclude people the same way you would not exclude someone for the color of their skin. Do not exclude them for the size or weight of their body. What else she touched on is that although they want to see more people of color and more diverse body types on the stage, not enough efforts have been made. Granted, I've only done precursory research on this, but it circles back to the point we were trying to make earlier. If there's less representation in a career field, then there will be less role models and it will continue to perpetuate a system held up by only one or two groups of people. I think I've asked Kosh, your roommate Colby, I may have asked him this in the past, but I've asked him, well, what Harrison just said, you know, diversity in theater is it a thing and hopefully one day we'll have colby on the show he is a white male so that could be pretty far down the line but he's a good one he's a good one <laughs> he's a good one whoa a good wait one. a minute was that too racist <laughs> no. maybe are we reverse racist then? <laughs> no such thing <laughs> episode four reverse racism <laughs> so i actually I, i've talked to colby about this all the time because he and i just argue constantly colby also owns a theater company for some context yeah it's canty river productions check them out they're doing some amazing amazing work but I, i've talked to him about this and like we talked about a lot about diversity in theater and and it's like a really interesting concept and i think when it comes to casting something that we've talked about is and he's, he's enlightened me on is colorblind casting so for example he has this original play that he does called Brothers Wright, which he's put on in New York a couple of times, and it's it's fantastic. I mean, he's putting on in July. Shouts out. But we were talking, like, it, it takes place about the Wright brothers, you know, 100 years ago. I was like, so are you going to just cast only white people to be historically accurate? And so colorblind casting is, like, casting re- regardless of color, regardless of race. Like, Bridgerton, for example, on Netflix. It's like this, um, I haven't seen the show, but it's like obviously takes place like in Victorian England, but like the main, the male love interest is a black man. Well, what I'll say on that is in Victorian era, not to like derail you right now, but in Victorian era England, which the Victorian era was a long time, there were definitely black people. There were absolutely black people in Victorian era England because, you know slavery yeah <laughs> but no continue I, I i didn't want to take a train of thought i just wanted to throw that in there yeah so with like the like this male interest was like a duke and like a like a highborn 
person. I think like even like the queen in the show or something is also black. There's like an Indian, like an Indian wo- like woman who's also in the show as another highborn person, and it's and it's like this refreshingly racially diverse cast, like in a period piece. And like you don't, you're not gonna see that in like ah. Pride and Prejudice and like Keira Knightley's thing, you know. So it's like a whole colorblind bit. Yeah, it's like it's like what's the harm? It's like we get that it's in Victorian England. Because I agree with you there. Because hypothetically, that could make sense. All of those different types of people were in England at that time in history. But if it's for the purpose of like fulfilling the role, I'm really into that. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's like the the, hmm. the story isn't about race i i think i think it's like it's not that's like not the point so like what's why not cast diverse people especially when so many diverse people are looking to get into theater or tv and and like in acting it's not doing fair if you're only going to tell white stories to only cast white people yeah right on that's that's cool i feel like that may be a form of diversity done right find the person who can actually do the job in a really awesome way you don't always have to be completely true to what the person looked like or completely historically accurate yeah look at the very popular production hamilton yeah that's like the perfect example i was i was like hoping not to use as the as the one as the one <laughs> example yeah it's a perfect example because it it does exactly what we just talked about it displays a historical uh story that's very important in an entertaining way while being diverse about how it casts people, and it doesn't take away from the plot whatsoever. No. If anything, it adds to it. They definitely acknowledge that, as well as the fact that every character that they're playing has owned slaves. It's just funny how they, <laughs> they actually tie that into the, the to the musical aspect of it, I should say. Like, like Lin did a great job. Like He's like, if you're making a story about immigrants, why not cast immigrants in current day, right? Like, what a great way to align and mirror the two stories, the current one yeah. versus the one of immigrants fighting for independence. Yeah. I think Broadway is starting to see a little bit more uh, colorblind casting, and this is me knowing absolutely nothing about Broadway. However, one of my favorite actresses, she's one of my favorite actresses because I met her one day in Harlem by chance, but Ciara Renee, she played Hawkwoman on the CW series The Flash. But she, in the production of Frozen on Broadway, she played Elsa. Frozen takes place in what? scandinavian yeah so like northern european country yeah like very white territory it takes place in a fantasy land but go off (laughs) well you get you know what i'm trying to say (laughs) yes (laughs) not to uh steal your shine from that one but my friend also did mention an article or a name rather that leads to some articles that may be worth checking out for anyone who wants to know a little bit more about how systemic racism and a lack of representation, which leads to less role models, etc., is present in the theater community. She sent it to me. Go ahead and look up Broadway star Audra McDonald. That's Audra McDonald. How she gives her own account of systemic racism in the theater community. I think it was a good read. There are a few articles floating around on Google. If you want to get informed on this topic, just go for it. Look it up. She's quoted saying things like, going into auditions, she would be asked to make things sound a little more street. Ugh. She is an African-American woman. And that's a very real form of like racism, discrimination, where, like we've been talking about for the last hour, people expect certain things 
out of other people who look a certain way. Oh, I thought you would, you know, really come into this production and make it a little bit more urban or give it that urban urban Ugh. feel. That word urban kills me. Urban. It's disgusting. Thanks, man. The only urban I know is urban outfitters. Because every black person in the U.S. clearly lives in, within the inner city and knows exactly what urban means and really exemplifies. Remember when Trump got elected in 2016? I don't know if you if you forgot, but then he like... <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he like put Ben Carson as like the head of like urban development. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not racist. I'm like, it's like the most racist thing, Trump. Like, what are you? Hey, what are you doing? hey, you're a black guy. You know about the urban, right? Oh, it was so <laughs> bad. That's like a Michael Scott out of the office move. I do remember that, and it was so racist. I laughed. Oh, <laughs> it's really bad. I think having Colby talk about this kind of stuff, he's obviously much more knowledgeable. I think than a lot of people on this that at least I know. Yeah, yeah we can dive into that, you know? This yeah. is a free form, free format, rather. We can't have a white man on the podcast before we have a female PLC, but we will have him on. You're absolutely <laughs> correct, Nick. We need to get our priorities straight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we have, again, talked about a lot today. I actually very much enjoyed getting a lot of that off of my chest, especially the whole career aspect no one i don't know anyone else who's had to deal with that up until now besides you know akash so if you have stories like that i would love to hear them we would love to hear them please shoot them on over to the email brown not black pod at gmail.com i don't believe i have any more feedback to uh represent here so oh i have one thing actually i said something last episode i would never let a white man touch my hair again Shout out to my boy Tom from Yukon who used to cut my hair before every rugby game. That white man can't touch my hair. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. <laughs> he actually he actually knows how to fade mad nice. Anyways, Harrison, Akash, thank you so much for another extremely informative episode of the Brown Not Black podcast. Get it wherever you get your normal podcasts. Harrison, Akash, if you have any closing remarks, just fucking say them. Thanks guys for having me on. It's so cathartic for me to even come on here and speak to you guys about my experiences and hear about yours as well and hopefully help someone open up their eyes a little bit more to our stories and the struggles that we face. Absolutely. That's the whole message. That's why we're here right now. Because talking about it will help move the conversation and let people know that you're not alone in feeling this way about things. Harrison, can you do us all a favor here and please plug that book one more time? Yeah, absolutely. This is a book that I've read. I read it for a sociology class years ago, but I continued to read it because of how informative it was about America's history of systemic racism, the problems and potential solutions. The book is called The New Jim Crow. It's by Michelle Alexander. It is so great. Pick it up. Get yourself educated. Harrison, is that, is that it for your closing remarks? I'm just, I'm very, I'm very suspicious. Well, I do have one more thing to say. Sweet dreams are made of these. Who are you to disagree? <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. I love that. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, that was... Not as bad as I was expecting to. That was actually pretty nice. <laughs> Kosh Harrison, thank you. This is your co-host, Nick. 
This is the Brown Not Black Podcast. I'm in the habit of saying, I ain't in the making love, so come give me a hug, again, again. 